from this point of view, the decisions are irrelevant. What's important is the state of the being that's doing them. And then whatever decisions you make from that point of view will follow according to your karma, your proclivities, uh, your natural interests, and your conditioned responses. So if you've been conditioned to be a kind of a farm girl from Manitoba, then that's as good a decision as being a doctor from Chicago. From the point of view of being free from addiction, from being free from appetite, it doesn't matter what you do. You can be a ditch digger or a doctor. You can be a lawyer or a plumber. You can be... The one thing you probably won't do is, in the process is you won't do a job that causes pain to either yourself or others. And the difficult part when it comes to relationship is that we tend to create relationships of pain in order to liberate the original pain, but all we do is act it out. Because you can't use a relationship to liberate the pain. The nature of the relationship mirrors in some ways the pain of the child, and so it's an attempt to get in touch with it, but it doesn't solve it. It's a solitary, lonely journey, which should be really good to have Dharma brothers and sisters to go along with you on, because at least they understand what you're going through. When everybody else says, oh, just get over it. Which, of course, you can't, really. So can you, can you tell us how you live in the moment still plan for a future? Well, you know winter's coming. That's your animal social planner guy, right? And so you know you've got to chop firewood. So tonight you want to go have a beer with the boys down at the bar, and you know it's August, right? So you've got to make the decision. Do I go home and chop firewood, or do I go to the bar? If you always make the decision to go home and chop firewood, then you'll be kind of a grump. And if you always make the decision to go to the bar and have a drink, you're going to be uh, dysfunctional. And so the nature of the decision isn't important. What's important is which decision is the most appropriate one in the moment. And you'll know which decision is the most appropriate one in the moment by how much firewood you have. If you've got three cords of wood, you can afford to go to the bar. If you haven't even started cutting down trees, these decisions are fairly straightforward. So now you've got, you got a job in Winnipeg, and you have friends here, and you have family here, and you get offered a job in Toronto, being a head psychiatric hubba hubba of hubba hubba. And it's a good job, it's a promotion, and now you have to make a decision. Well, a, what does my family want to do? And Because that's a contract you have. And what do I want to do? That's another contract you have. And what are the various factors? Now, I think on that decision, again, the, the, the factors are fairly obvious. And so your decision comes to, well, which one do I have to do in the end? And that's the one you follow. Well, my family's more important to me than the job, so I'll stay. Or my family's happy to go to Toronto, but I don't want to be in a big city, so I'll stay. Or I've been in Winnipeg for 30, 40 years, and it would be good to have a different perspective, so I'll go. But we think that that decision is going to determine our happiness, when what I'm saying is the opposite, that that decision won't affect your happiness. You won't be any happier here or there unless you're happy now, and you can only be happy now if that decision isn't the important decision, the important decision, am I okay in this moment? And if the answer to that is yes, then whether you choose to go to Toronto or stay in Winnipeg will have uh, relative consequences based on the dynamic of those situations, but it won't affect your happiness because your happiness isn't built on those decisions. And when we're addicted or when we're caught in appetite, those decisions seem to be the root of our happiness. And that's what I'm trying to turn around. The reason we have such difficulty with this 
is because we think these decisions are the root of our well-beingness and the decision, what's the root of our well-beingness is the decision to be okay in the moment and then go close the door or whatever you're going to do. And if we turn that around, all of a sudden our decisions in our world become much, much easier. Some of them are no wins. Now the reason we have pain is because we're hoping that the other person will tell us that it's okay for us to be us. But the nature of the experience is that it's not okay for you to be you. The price of being you is that you're alone. You should be happy in any story you create because you're creating them. And you, if you have a mixed story, then you can't be happy in either of them. You go, <laughs> this is a no-win situation. I love it. I'm going to be happy in a no-win situation. By the way, when I say happy, I don't mean happy, happy. I just mean that, that you understand that your well-being in this moment is in this moment. And that all the complicated life decisions aren't going to change that. If you're not happy in this moment, you won't be in the next. And if you're happy in this one, you're going to have to be happy in whichever one because you might get cancer or some wood, right? Or, you know, you, you, might get hit, you might be in the plane that goes into the Twin Towers tomorrow. You've got to be happy on that plane. In that moment, you've got to be okay with that moment because sooner or later, we're all in a plane to the Twin Towers. Yes, of course. Of course they are. But they're all based on when you're being authentic and you're being. If you look at the nature of authentic experiences out there, they're authentic because you're being authentic. And when your misery seems overpowering, it's still an authentic experience and you should be happy with your misery because misery is also authentic. And the idea that we'll have no pain is inauthentic. Which I'm not saying everything that happens all the time is painful. But what I'm saying is that when, it, when there is pain, that's authentic. And you have to be okay with that. It's not like it's the end of the world. It's just modern life. If you're an Eskimo and you're old, you just get off the cometic in the middle of a snowstorm. And everybody pretends they don't see you as you just walk off and die. Because you can no longer... Be of use to the community. This isn't cruel. This isn't mean. This is just life. The illusion that we have, uh, the fantasy that we hold, is that nothing bad is supposed to ever happen in life. But <laughs> the, the major cause of death is living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am talking a lot about the pain side, but only because I'm talking about the falseness of the other side, which is the idea that habits and addictions and appetites are going to produce pleasure. And that leads us back to this, where what's the authentic pleasure? Well, the authentic pleasure is to be mindfully in the moment. And that is infinitely pleasurable. But when that moment isn't good enough, because of the addiction or because of the habits, then we're, we're back into the pain dialogue. And this moment as it is, is only pleasurable because it isn't tied to that which is unreliable. And what's unreliable are objects. Physical objects, mental objects, and emotional objects are all unreliable because they're impermanent, they're subject to loss, and they can't be maintained over time because all objects that come into being disappear. So the ultimate pleasure, or the absolute pleasure, I guess if I can say that way, is the mind that rests in its own experience of perception and awareness without attachment or aversion to the objects. Well, yes? That basically, does that seem to then collapse this duality? That you can reconcile both yes, yeah, you reconcile the duality 
by recognizing that the dialogue between the two sides is happening in your mind. When you don't have that dialogue, that duality collapses. But of course, the nature of our experience is that we're, we're habitualized to the dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes? But both of the, or they are the same because they're both sensation, they're both sensing. Yep. So they are the same. Yeah, in the end. Pleasure, pain. You know, is she crying out of joy at the wedding or is she crying out of pain at the wedding? It's all about how you, whether you're happy that she's getting married or that you're sad she's marrying such a jerk. Yeah, I mean it's 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 all in the it's all in the interpretation, right? So, was there a question at the back there? Um, I was just wondering how can you, in a healthy way, uh, in a sense, not identify with the objectable world that still allows you to function. You you meant ob- objective. Objective. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. But that still allows you to function. Well, the, you just answered your own question, my dear. You just have to be aware that you're objectifying, that you're identifying. You've identified with the story, and in the process of identifying with the story, this story ends in pain, or this story ends in pleasure. And so you can be pleasurable as long as the story is held together. But all stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in the, in the cycle of stories, you always return to the same still point or spacious emptiness or vibrant voidness or <laughs> shunyata mind state of its in-betweenness, like a movie. I'm sorry, we're back to non-digital metaphors here. <laughs> but, you know, in a strip of movie, you, you have 32 frames a second, right? And in between each frame is a gap. Just because those frames are moving at speed and makes it look like it's continuous, it's not, and so is your mind. Your mind has these little gaps. And we're just so addicted to the story, we don't even notice the gaps. And meditation is really just to become aware of the gaps. And now the stories don't change, but you have a place of refuge that you didn't have before, and the place of refuge is that gap, where the pain and pleasure dialogue is just two frames of the movie, pleasure, pain, or pleasure, 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 pleasure. And then your stocks were all in Enron, pain, 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 pain. <laughs> Right? But in between, you always have the gap. And you can't find the gap from the point of view of your habitual mind or your addictive mind or your appetite mind because they're so all-consuming that you miss the gap. And so when you first see the gap, you get bored because there's nothing happening there. And then you get fearful because there's nothing happening there. And then you get anxious because you think you're losing your mind when in fact what you're losing is the continuity of your story. And so now what you train yourself basically to do in the spiritual life is be happy in the gap. No story of pleasure, no story of pain, no loss, no gain can, interf- can do anything to the gap because the gap by definition is a gap. Okay, so that's it for tonight, I guess. But recognize that, uh, that in the magic circle or in the threshold of adventure, using Western uh, uh, metaphor, rather than Eastern metaphor, is that when you enter into the spiritual world, you enter into the side that is, well, what I've been describing. And when you go back out into the world, that world follows its rules. And when you go back to the world of Doug and Toronto, right, that follows its rules. And the two sides are irreconcilable in the sense that any decision you make in the world won't necessarily please uh, anyone else. 
And that's just the law of it. And so you use the other side, the spiritual side, to recognize that whatever decision or whatever choices I make in my life are going to be mixed. You're going to have positive effects and negative effects. And, and spending your entire life simply looking for just the positive effects of that kind of involvement is doomed to suffering because no matter how good you are, you can still have a bad thing happen. The only mistake you make, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is that if you spend 90% of your time trying to find happiness in that so-called object world, you're not going to do it. And if you spend 90% of your time finding happiness in the non-objective world, you will. But that won't necessarily make your objective world happy all the time. But it does give you the tool to handle those times when it isn't. But in order to do that, you've got to let go of your history or herstory. It's not easy. But you have no choice. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to awaken. Uh-uh. You say you want to awaken, but you make all the decisions to keep yourself from awakening. You do it because you have no place else to run to. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Thank you.